And welcome back to Stem Fatale, your women in science history podcast. Yeah. I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Emlyn Gremlin. And I'm your other co-host, Dr. Emma Dilemma. And uh, we're coming to you late at night. Yeah, we <laughs> planned this poorly. Yeah. Kind of my fault going out of town. No, I had to no. rush, <laughs> rush a record. <laughs> But, uh, and I had to rush a, a, a actually reading things, <laughs> and I just sometimes you just don't sometimes don't want to read. It's tough, and you just want to play Animal Crossing. Hey, it's September first. There's a bunch of new animals in Animal Crossing Are there? right now. Yeah, man, I haven't been on my Animal Crossing in <gasps> like two weeks because well, I got a real garden, and so I kind of just spent time there. Got a real um, garden. But I did, but I got Tucker, who's this, like, really cute horn, like, elephant with tusks, Aww. and then I abandoned him instantly. How dare you? So we haven't become friends. I just got a new pig, and she calls me <gasps> Snorty, and she, her whole house looks like a bank. She has gold bars, she has a grate, she has a cash register. <laughs> What is her name? Oh, I can't. Gala. Oh, oh, wait. She's the one. She's the one that has a, a like a, a yeah, like bars. Yeah. Like she keeps someone there. Like yeah. She's a creepy, it's really creepy weird. lady. And she's really cute and has these big eyes and a pink shirt. And her name is Gala. And she has those are the flowers, ones you have to watch out for. And then I'm like, oh my god, mm-hmm. it's like a jail banker's house. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, this is the Animal Crossing podcast. Yeah, sometimes you shouldn't go into other people's houses because you don't want to know. Yeah. Like, I don't need to know that they have a jail in their, their house. No, 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 no. Have we lost any listeners Anyways. because of this? <laughs> I hope not. I mean, it's been like two minutes. What do you think the overlap is between Stem Fatal Pod listeners and Animal Crossing players? I think it's high. I would say so. Yeah. Of, like, maybe the younger listeners. Yeah, yeah. 75%. But then there's those there's those older players of Animal Crossing, so you never know. You never know. But, yes, it's uh, the start of fall in Animal Crossing. Evelyn, just <laughs> and also And the start of our podcast. Also in life. Oh, yeah. And the start of our yeah, podcast. Yeah. Uh, all right. So <laughs> you, let's jump into it. Yeah. Before I'm that might be the most to the banter wind. we've ever had at top of pod. I know that's because we are we're ha- we have downers and not uppers. Yeah. Okay. All right, so <laughs> I'm gonna apologize in Uh-oh. advance. I think that's the the good way to do it. Oh no. Uh, so I I'm pretty good at math. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I took linear algebra twice because I liked it so much. Weird. Not because I did badly. <laughs> wow. And the woman we're gonna talk to about today, she, she's on a whole other math level. Gotcha. Okay. That I cannot even begin to fathom. So, Ooh. I will attempt 
to talk about some things she did. Yeah. But I will not do it justice, and I hope it makes any sense at all. I mean... So just apologies in advance. I don't know what I'm talking about. Do you remember when I covered um, Sofia Kovalevskaya, and I was like, uh-huh, she did yeah. like a top. Like, the, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I yes. don't remember. Yeah, I just... She made equations for a top, and it was... Th- yep. Uh, you know, it's just... It was we're good. biologists. I'd like to hear a mathematician describe a spider to me, the anatomy of a spider. So, But the thing is, I think they probably could. It's when you get into, like, <sighs> things that don't exist and very yeah. theoretical stuff that I just can't right. wrap my head around. Yeah. But, like, you can just look at anatomy of a spider. Well, can you? Well, if you've got good a good microscope. Right. There you go. And the will. And the will. And the the sight. Yeah. The, the keen, keen sight. All right. So with that um, apology in hand, today we're going to talk about Miriam <gasps> Mirzakani. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Nice. Yeah. So I've been wanting to cover her for a while. Yeah. But, like, um, she... Well, there's, there's a variety of different reasons. One, also because the math intimidates me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I just always worry that I'm not going to be able to explain it well. But we're going we're gonna to do it anyways. I mean, this is like a new fashion math, too. Because this was pretty, so, so new pretty recent, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. Are you ready? I, I am ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So, Miriam was born on May 12th, 1977. I think she's probably our most recent yep. um, person that we've talked about, who was, like, born most recently. I would say maybe next to that would be Sally Ride, because I know that she mm. also died pretty young. Mm-hmm. Um, I but, mean, spoiler, but yes. Yeah. Spoiler, but we only ever cover... We only cover people who have died, and so you can kind of... You can do the math about <laughs> you that. You do the um, math. Um, yeah, so Miriam was born in 1977 in Tehran, Iran. Um, and as, as a child, she was interested in being a fiction writer and told herself a lot of stories and was much more kind of thinking of going the creative route and really liked uh, telling herself stories. Aw, that's good. And during this time, it was kind of a rough childhood because Iran was in the middle of the Iran-Iraq War, which made life quite tumultuous. Yeah, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, however, um, the war ended just as she was finishing elementary school, and so during this time, more and more opportunities were opening up for motivated students like herself to actually, um, you know, get education and stuff like that. So she kind of came at the right time in some ways to be able to really benefit from some of the prosperity that that came back after the war. Um, I have a question. Yes. When did... Oh, uh, no. I ran... When did Persia become Iran? Do you know? Um, <laughs> I mean, I could look it up. I have no idea. Wait, I'll Google it. Okay, 
great. Teach me things. Um, you always have to har- ask me the hard questions that I'm not prepared no, for. No, I know that this... I'm guessing this wasn't part of her life. Otherwise, they would have mentioned it, right? Yeah. Probably. Oh, maybe... Well, it says their current... Oh, this is way more complicated than I ever realized. <laughs> oh, no. It's not a quick... It always it's is. It's just not a quick Google not a, the way quick, I thought yeah, it would okay. be. But I, I sort of thought... Oh, Iran was officially adopted in 1935. Okay. So, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Okay. Because you said she was born in Iran, and then I was like, oh, when did that happen? But it was way before. You could take this out. <laughs> no, I like it. I'm learning so much. I didn't know either. Yeah. And I'm sure some of the listeners also didn't know. And then some of the listeners are saying they're idiots. But you know, yeah, they're probably like shouting at me the year or the year I just <laughs> quoted from Google is potentially incorrect. I don't know the long history. I'm sorry. We're bad at history for people we are hosting ex- a science history podcast. Oops. I just hit my <laughs> But mic. this is, we're learning history with you. Yeah, we are. We're learning it. Yeah. All right. Continue. Sorry for the distraction, okay. everybody. No, it's good. You're making me look good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, so after she finished elementary school, she attended the Tehran uh, Farzanegan Middle School. I'm probably butchering that, and I apologize. Um, middle school as a child, which was a girl's school that was part of the National Organization for Development of Exceptional Talents. Ooh. And during her first week at her new school, she met Roya uh, Beheshti, who would end up being a lifelong friend and colleague in mathematics. Aww. Wow. So, yeah, like really, really young. <laughs> she met yeah. Her colleague. That's crazy. I know. <laughs> That's how they addressed each other. They're like, hello, colleague. future colleague. <laughs> so during her first year at uh, the middle school, she did rather poorly in mathematics. Uh, oh. She had a teacher who didn't really think she was particularly talented in math. Of course. Which caused Miriam to lose confidence in her mathematical skill. Here's, and kind of lose interest. All right. PSA for any teachers listening. <laughs> don't tell students they're bad at a subject just because they're bad at one time that subject in your class. Yeah. Is that a full sentence? No, always positive <laughs> encouragement. Like, we can work on this. Yeah. Or- Growth mindset, you know? Yeah. I know that's maybe a newer idea, but... Most teachers probably know more about it than I do. I'm just saying. We hear that a lot about a lot of the ladies we, do. we cover, that they're told they're bad at something. So, I don't know. Don't do it. Yeah, just don't do it. Or also, like, I really enjoy the the female scientists who put their teachers who didn't believe in the, on them on blast when they're super famous. Yeah, I think that's so you key. don't. For- <laughs> Yeah, you don't want to be the person who didn't believe in the next, you know, Nobel Prize winning scientist. Yeah, for sure. So during her first year, she didn't really get good uh, reinforcement 
in mathematics, and so she really lost confidence. However, the following year, she had a more encouraging teacher, and her performance improved markedly. Uh, and according to her friend Roya, uh, Miriam became a star in mathematics. Mm. So, <laughs> Miriam and Roya are what? some cool old kids. Uh-oh. Because I'm they... Scared. Um, I'm scared. <laughs> they, you shouldn't be. You shouldn't okay. be. Okay. <laughs> they got a hold of the questions from that year's National Math Olympiads. Oh, um, And in their spare time, tried to solve all of the problems and test themselves to see how well they could do on the the Olympiads. I'm really glad and that they found each other. You know? I know. <laughs> I know. That's got to be so nice to have somebody else to, like, geek out yeah. with. Because that's fun. Like, like, math problems yeah. are really fun. But they are. everybody they are makes fun. you think you're a total nerd, stupid dork if you like math. Well, I'm telling you now, find someone else who likes math. And, yeah, uh, don't pull a Lindsay Lohan and pretend you're not good at math when you really are good at math yep. just to impress a boy. Just be good at math. Yep, exactly. Um, that's my spiel. Embrace so, your math so yeah. abilities. <laughs> exactly. So she, so Miriam and Roya, they were able to solve three out of the six problems, which was, you know, really, really impressive. But, you know, they're not satisfied. Mm. They want to train more. They want to get more experience so that they can compete in the math Olympiads. So they approached their principal to demand, demand <laughs> that she arrange a math problem solving class similar to the ones that were taught in the boys schools. So the boys schools had classes where they did these types of problems and then a lot of the math students would then participate in the olympiad Mm -hmm. but there wasn't an equivalent at the girls school and so they (sighs) demanded that they get their problem solving class good and Miriam said of her principal at the time, quote, she was a very strong character. If we really wanted something, she would make it happen. Her mindset was very positive and upbeat that, quote, you can do it even though you'll be the first one. Uh, I think that has influenced my life a lot. So undeterred by the fact that Iran's international, so the International Mathematical Olympiad team in Iran had never had a girl on it. Whoa. And so, you know, the prospects... Of them being able to do that maybe seemed relatively slim, but undeterred, the principal agreed and helped them improve their math skills and their math problem solving. (sighs) It's like, sometimes I'm just, I'm so frustrated that people think women can't do things, or girls, you know? Yeah, and the excuse is, well, they haven't done it so far. And it's like, well, that's because your attitude is always that... They haven't done it so far. It's like a yeah. self-fulfilling prophecy. It just seems Anyways, but so the principal stupid. did not believe that. Yeah. Okay, good. The yeah. principal said, you can do it even though you'll be the first one. Right, I'm going to help right, you. Right, right, right. Good. That's what exactly And what help she needed. did. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so during Miriam's last two years of high school, she was able to participate in the Iranian like math Olympiads. Woo, that's awesome. In- in fact, she won the gold medal for mathematics in the Iranian Whoa. National Olympiad. So I think she actually won it twice 
as her junior and senior year, but I couldn't confirm that. Is that, so that's an individual competition, not a team competition? Yeah, it seems like an individual, like maybe there's schools compete, but everybody, the individual people compete. Okay. I'm not sure. Yeah. But it's definitely an individual level thing. Sweet. Wow. Yeah, so she won um, the Iranian National Olympiad, which allowed her to bypass national college entrance exams. Wow. Which is pretty awesome. Yeah. So she didn't have to take these exams and went... um, to where is it where is it she went to the sharif university of technology uh for her undergrad and so during college in 1994 she was the first female iranian student to um receive a gold medal in the international international mathematical olympiad uh which was held in hong kong wow so she's she won gold in Iran, and then she competed in intera- the International Mathematical Olympiad and also got gold. So do you think she would just spend her nights doing math? You know, I don't know. Like, I don't know to too much about her, like... Um, yeah, I don't know how... I mean, maybe just, like, solving a lot of puzzles. Yeah. I just don't know. Yeah. Just trying to, like, you know, imagine what her her day-to-day looks like mm-hmm. training for a math Olympiad, you know? Well, she she didn't do this. Um, she didn't do it alone. She also, most of the way, was right. doing it with Roya. That's so. right. That's so cool. Yeah. So, yeah, so she won the gold. And then the following year, she was the first Iranian student of all time to achieve a perfect score, um, winning two gold medals in the International Mathematical Olympiad in Toronto. And at one of, I don't know which Olympiad this was, but in one of them, um, there was a question that was asked, which was, um, okay, find a graph, which is the set of points connected by lines, um, that has, you know, these properties. So they gave them her specific conditions that they wanted the graph to fulfill. And they were like, we'll give you a dollar for every graph of this kind that you can find or that you can draw. Oh. So there's like very specific, very specific things yeah. that they were looking for. And she actually generated a formula that would give her an infinite number of graphs of this kind. So technically they owed her infinite money. <laughs> I don't know if she got any money, but oh my maybe. Gosh. But technically, she won an award where she was owed infinite money. I wonder if they really. I want. They must have capped it at a certain amount, don't you think? Probably. Yeah. Yeah, I would. Maybe it's like up so. to a mil or less. Yeah. Probably less than. Probably that. not a mil. I think she was in college. That'd oh. be impressive. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I mean, don't... Yeah, don't offer money unless you're willing to pay, you know? <laughs> yeah, or make the, make the uh, rules pretty clear. Yeah, you know, plan, don't underestimate. Yeah, plan for any scenario, right? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so winning these... Like, competing in these competitions and and doing so well in them really cemented her love of mathematics. Also during these 
um, Olympiads, Roya also won an Olympiad silver medal um, in the first international one. And then now, now I'm confused. I've done something poorly. Uh-oh. Ro- okay. Roya during this time also won an Olympia silver medal, which was no small feat in and right. of itself. So they were like ca- queens of the world. Yep. You know, taking silver and gold for themselves. No prisoners. It's, taking infinite money. It seems almost silly that we hear about one of them a lot and not the other. But I'm guessing maybe... Like, do they work to get... Okay, I'm not going to jump ahead. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'll just wait until the end to ask this question. Okay. All right. <laughs> and I may or may not uh, have any answers. Right, right. It's cool. All right. So on March 17th in 1998, Miriam and Roya attended a conference of gifted individuals and former Olympiads. Oh. Afterwards, they, along with other attendees of this event boarded a bus back to Tehran while they were driving. The bus was involved in an accident and fell off a cliff. Oh my gosh. Which ended up killing seven of the passengers who were all Sharif university students. Wow. That's terrible. I know. I like couldn't find like, you know, of all the only one of the, only the Wikipedia I found actually talked about this. Um, And then all the other things talked more about her, like, math and her later life uh, or her childhood, but, like, didn't mention this. But Miriam and Roya were some of the few survivors of this, what's considered to be a national tragedy that she was involved in. That's sad. I know. Can you imagine being on a bus that goes off a cliff? No, that's actually, like, a nightmare of mine. (laughs) (laughs) Is I mean, being yes, in a car truly. on a cliff and it somehow, oh, oh my god! And you just like feel the time go by. Okay, we can move on. Yeah. But yeah, so that's terrible. In 1999, she received a Bachelor of Science in Mathematics from Sharif University of Technology. And while she was in college at Sharif University, she received recognition by the American Mathematical Society uh, for developing a simple proof for the theory of sure. We're not going to, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I didn't look it up. I don't, I just don't, didn't have the mental like capacity to deal with multiple things. No, it's okay. We'll stick to the big guns, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but you know, the theory of sure, sure. Okay. Um, Wait, of S U R E? Or S- no, it's S C H U R. Maybe that's a guy. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Probably they're all named after <laughs> guys. Um, so then she, after she got her bachelor, she came to the United States for graduate school uh, and studied at Harvard University, working under the supervision of the Fields Medalist Curtis McMullen. So, if you don't know what the Fields Medal is. The Fields Medal is kind of the equivalent of the Nobel Prize for mathematics. Okay. So there is no Nobel Prize for mathematics. Right. So the highest honor that you can get as a mathematician is the Fields Medal. I feel so like, he's like I've heard of it. Has anybody else won it that we've talked about? No. Okay. 
No. Um, so oh, at this okay. point, the Fields Medal had never gone to a woman. Yeah. Okay. I was like, how are you so sure? Like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm definitive. Because, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. By 1999, <laughs> only men had won this award. What? And part of the problem is that this award specifically goes to, like, top mathematicians under 40. Oh. And so part of the problem is that, like, if you have any setbacks on your journey to being a mathematician or you have Mm -hmm. a harder time or it takes you longer Mm -hmm. or you, you know, take an unconventional path – then by the time you get to the right career stage or have gained the amount of like acclaim you would need to win this award, you're probably, you might be older than 40. So it's a very weird, like you have to have, that's like, you have to have started math really early and like been successful early and like done your biggest breakthrough early in order to be counted for this award. I feel like that actually, that actively discriminates against women. Who at some yeah. point before 40, especially like in before 2000, were possibly having kids, you know? Yeah, like, and taking, yeah, and maybe aren't the most productive for a few years. And then maybe they're discovering amazing things, but yeah. they're then no longer eligible. So, yeah, it's it being under 40 is very weird. I'm not against like early career awards at all, but I am yeah. against like the highest prize in mathematics only going to people under 40. That seems really yes. weird. I agree. I it's like yeah. unless you've have everything had had a straight path mm-hmm. to success, then like if you had any kind of hiccups along the way, you're no longer eligible for this yeah, award. Yeah, exactly. That's really weird. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's another, that's, you know, in addition to math being dominated by men for a variety of reasons relating to, like, sexism and, like, just history. Yeah. Uh, in addition, that seems like it's actively preventing women from being eligible for it yeah not necessarily intentionally but the result yep is what it is interesting very interesting Mm -hmm. yeah i learned a lot of things (laughs) as i oh as we always do on these episodes we learn how fucked up things are You know what, though? Right. You got to learn about it in order exactly. to know how to change it, right? Exactly. You know, exactly. can't change it if it's, we don't have no idea it exists. <laughs> yeah, can't blindly change it. <laughs> so, uh, so Miriam, when she came to Harvard, began studying with McMullen. And while she was there, she became fascinated by hyperbolic surfaces. Of course. Like, so uh-huh. random. <laughs> I mean, I think that's kind of what he worked on. Oh, okay. Um, hyperbolic surfaces roughly are like donut-shaped surfaces with at least two holes in them that have non-standard geometry, which I think means they have like an irrational or a um, imaginary part. Okay. You know, like I, little I. Yeah. 
which roughly speaking gives each point of the surface this like saddle shape yeah so that's roughly what a hyperbolic yeah, surface is. Think of a is. saddle, everybody. Like a curve, yeah. and it's curving on a both sides. A saddle with some holes in it. Of, and it goes up on the ends. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> so these surfaces exist in complex space with imaginary numbers. Yeah, think like a pretzel, but with more dimensions and like in imaginary space, right. if that helps at all. See, when you put it in terms of pretzels, I could see why <laughs> she's starting to get excited about them. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I would pretzel. Ooh, like a, like a New York pretzel, like like a soft, a big soft pretzel, butter, salt, Mm, like an Auntie Anne's pretzel in a train station before Mm. you miss your train. Mustard, some cheese. Mm. It's good stuff. So yeah, I get it. And now I'm going to be a mathematician now too. (laughs) (laughs) What got you into the field, Emma? Pretzels, pretzels and their luscious shapes. Um, okay. <laughs> All right. So to kind of get us into some of this. So she worked on like geodesics. Okay. So essentially, I'm going to kind of walk us into what that means. Wow. So imagine like a bug on a 2D surface. So like on a piece of paper mm-hmm. that can only go in a straight line. Okay. Along that piece of that flat 2d surface so this insect um would go forward and create a line like from point a to point b on that piece of paper yes i'm with you so far okay now if we put this bug on a sphere where it can only go in a straight line but along the surface um so like i think a beach ball you put this bug on a beach ball then the bug would go around the ball and end up back where it started right but that would technically be it going just in a straight line yeah or a straight path yeah so both so this path where it ends up back where it started is what's considered a closed loop Um, and both the line on the 2d surface and on this 3d surface are what are known as geodesics okay so uh, a closed loop around a sphere uh, or so all geodesics on a sphere are closed. So like any direction you put this bug, it's going to go in a straight line and come back to where it began. Mm-hmm. And these are called simple closed geodesics because they never kind of if you like if you saw where they went, they never crossed over their path. They just kind of start where they ended. Okay. Or end where they started. Uh, but they don't intersect the path that they went on. Right. Does that make sense? So, yes. So they're, it's like straight, they're walking straight. Yeah. And they're walking straight on different shapes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, like, if they walked on a funky surface like a donut, Sometimes you get this geodesic to close, but often you just get you get this bug to kind of walk in all different ways going on a straight line on this donut and w- the path would cross a lot, but it would never directly end up where it started. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it never really like closes that that path. Uh, and so very rarely in like complex surfaces do you get simple closed geodesics like you do in just a sphere. 
So before Miriam, mathematicians didn't have a good way of estimating the number of simple closed geodesics for a given surface. All of these like complex surfaces that we can't actually visualize in our mind because they're like four, five, six, X thousand D mm-hmm. and with imi- imaginary numbers. So like things that we can't imagine, but they're surfaces nonetheless. And so for her thesis, she developed a formula to determine the number of these simple closed geodesics of a given length on a surface and how this number, uh, when you get larger, like longer geodesics, uh, how you get more of them on a given surface. More of them. All right. I trust. So like if you have a path, if you have a path of some certain length um, that closes on itself like uh-huh there's when you have longer lengths like this path's a longer length there's multiple more ways to make that happen on a given weird surface okay yep i got you this work has huge uh implications and connects like two major research fields one involves moduli space, which I'm not going to get into, or which is, uh, which I guess I am going to get into, uh, <laughs> moduli space, which is the set of all possible hyperbolic structures on a g- given surface. Okay. Take away from that what you will. I mean, um, and I'm the other, s- I'm so so just like that's a whole field. You know, I, like I, <laughs> I know it's, I just can't even wrap my head around. Yeah, the words I'm saying. like the, it's crazy to me how niche mathematics so can niche, be. yeah, and yet it has like the it seems like such a strange combination of uh the way they frame the questions are often about like a very like are very niche yeah. and very specific, but when you f- solve them. They have really far-reaching applications. It's a very right. strange combination. It's really weird. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. Sh- she connected moduli space and then also connected, um, like, kind of string theory ideas because she this work gave a surprising new proof of the formula discovered by Edward Witten that's vital to, to string theory. Uh, have we talked? I think we've talked about Edward Witten on this podcast. Really? Yeah, because <laughs> I went on a couple dates with his son. Evelyn, we have never even talked about this in real life. <laughs> oh, <laughs> in high school. Not yeah. So that, I went. To, um, not that the podcast isn't real life, but what? Yeah, it's true. Wait, we only is, talk during the podcast. But who? Is Edward Witten. He's Whitten. like a very, very famous mathematician okay. or like and maybe he's theoretical physicist but the difference to me i i'm not sure um yeah but he know, was in princeton when i went to princeton high school oh, and his right. son was in my math class because we were oh my gosh um both in like the most advanced math class yeah um and we went on a couple dates we went to the b movie the one with jerry Str- seinfeld the <laughs> <B>. <laughs> Ugh. Uh, and I was over at his house once, and Edward Witten, his uh-huh. dad, um, came up to us, and he was like, do you have an algorithm for getting home? Oh, my God. That's and I was so like, do you mean like a, Do you mean a ca- <laughs> like a car or a bicycle? Ugh. 
Anyways, so whenever I see Edward Witten, oh I'm like, Oh my yeah, god, he's so happened. lame. <laughs> <laughs> but also so influential. So. Yeah, that's kind of funny. Yeah. That's crazy. You know what, though? I'm realizing now, this is one of those fields where it's not like I don't just know women mathematicians. I don't know male mathematicians. <laughs> I just don't know anybody. Except I only like know him because I Einstein. of his son. Yeah. <laughs> but that's funny. Oh, you saw the yeah. B movie. Ugh. <laughs> Did you like it? Um, no, it was not good. Um, yeah. I'm not surprised. Yeah. We can talk more about this all yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, so the uh, so so yeah, so she f- joined these two major research questions and was able to kind of surprisingly give this new proof of some of Ed- Edward Witten's um, work on string theory. And so the only other person who was able to prove Edward Witten's uh, conjecture that re- that was in regards to string theory was um, Matt. Maxim Kontsevich, who was actually awarded a Fields Medal in 1998, partially because of that proof. So she just kind of accidentally proved this thing oh, again. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And so her dissertation about this resulted in publications in the top uh, top three mathematical journals. Wow. So hot stuff. Hot hot stuff. Um, and so, the according to Benson Farb, who's a fellow ma- mathematician at, I think, the University of Chicago, he said, the majority of mathematicians will never produce something um, as good as what she did in her thesis. Wow. <laughs> That's so. a bold statement. Uh-huh. <laughs> um. I was just... <laughs> Wait, this is kind of a tangent, but I was just remarking to Alex tonight about how, <laughs> and I know I know I'm reading too much into this, but wait, do you watch Thirty Rock? This could be too much of a tangent. I have. Okay, do you remember when Liz Lemon kept going to Jenna's shows? And like, there was a montage of her going to Jenna's old shows. And they were really bad. And so Liz Lemon, after the show, would be like, the set was really nice. (laughs) I really (laughs) liked all the glitter, like, just to say something nice. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I was thinking today, for some reason, like, when after I turned in my thesis. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) No, it's not that bad. But, like, a couple of my committee members are like, oh, this is written very well. (laughs) No one would ever be like, this is the best thing for this field, you know? Yeah. I mean, that is really, it's hard to imagine what that means because we hear in this podcast a lot, like, she was the best. She was the top, you know? Yep. But that's really like outstanding. Yeah. Most of wasn't us will Vera never Rubin hear that. like so? <laughs> yeah, well, didn't didn't Vera Rubin's? Oh, I forget what it was, but I thought um, like one of her advisors or someone said that like Vera Rubin's 
uh, thesis was like the best thesis ever written in the history of mankind (laughs) or like something outrageous that you're like excuse me (laughs) that's so funny oh man yeah so I'm just like you know sometimes you compare yourselves to other people and it's you shouldn't you shouldn't do (laughs) only like only in good ways of like being motivated not in bad ways of being like I'm inferior (laughs) I mean, no, that's amazing. Like, I, that must mean, that must mean a lot, you know? Like, it was really groundbreaking. Yeah. No, I think, yeah, I think her stuff is, I, I don't talk about it too much here, but in everything I read, she always said, you know, you know, people suggest going for low-hanging free- fruit when you're trying to be a, a faculty member or, like, yeah. you know, get promoted, get things published. Gotcha. And she never went for the low-hanging fruit. She went for the the hardest, most unanswered questions, and it would be years of her just thinking about them. Wow. And she never went for the low-hanging fruit. Um, yeah. yeah. So she always just challenged herself as much as possible. But she also seemed to have, like, the capacity to actually answer some of these things with, like, sometimes you, other people maybe should go for the low-hanging fruit because you still are making progress. <laughs> but, like, maybe beating your head against questions that have been unanswered for centuries. Yeah. Or do it. I don't know. Don't listen to me. I think, just you know, do there's it. all types of people. Exactly. And there's all types just, of scientists yeah. that are all contributing. Exactly. And they're all necessary and, like, should be... You know, we always glamorize the geniuses, but, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone, like you said, is contributing in an important way, so. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, she did this. (laughs) She did a good thesis. Let's just say that. (laughs) Uh, And after receiving her PhD from Harvard in 2004, she became a professor at Princeton and a research fellow at the Clay Mathematics Institute. So, you know, didn't even have to do a postdoc. Just yeah, I mean, snatched up the best thesis in the world. I know. <laughs> How can you argue with that? Yeah. So she spent some time at Princeton, and I'm a, a bit unclear about the timeline. But she, in 2008, she married um, Jan von Drack, who's a who is a, a Czech theoretical computational scientist and applied mathematician, Ooh. who I believe she had met at grad school because um, he did his. PhD at MIT, um, while, and and so I think they met while she was at Harvard and he was at MIT. So, any uh, updates on her friend? From- no. So I know she um, on uh, Ra- Raya Roya. What's her name? Uh, Roya. Yeah. Um, I know they wrote a book together, which I don't talk about any more than this. I just saw it yeah. mentioned. Um, and I saw some interviews with her. So they, like, stayed close. And she's a... Maybe she's just still... She's a yeah. mathematician and professor. I don't know what, what university, but she's, you know... Still practicing. Actively. Yeah. Yeah, she's, she's <laughs> still practicing. You know, she's a professor at some right, university right. studying mathematics but i don't know too much more about that maybe we'll have to talk well no she's alive and i wish her much health but um so so hopefully we don't talk about her for quite a while we hope to never talk about you we hope to never talk about you 
Yeah. God. So dark. Okay. Um, Then in 2009, they both got jobs at Stanford and so moved to Palo Alto. (gasps) I'm familiar. Palo Alto. Very familiar. Uh, Very familiar. And at this time, she had a daughter named Anahita. Um, And so while at Stanford, her work focused on differential geometry, complex analysis, and dynamical systems, um, understanding complex shapes and their geometries. Complex is right. Yeah, very complex. (laughs) Um, Her work... Uh, has impact on understanding the Big Bang theory, quantum field theory, material science, the study of prime numbers, and cryptography. Holy moly. Just a little taste. Yeah. You know, that's like cryptology. I think of like, oh, they scramble the letters. (laughs) But it's... In college, I took a whole class on cryptography. Oh, did did you like use math? Or was it? Yeah, more? it was a it was oh, a math class. That's cool. I'm telling you, I was good at math at one point. <laughs> I believe I don't disbelieve you. I just wasn't <laughs> sure. But like researching this, I did doubt myself. I was like, do I know anything? I know. And then I had to convince myself this is this is like crazy theoretical. Yeah. I mean, um, it's okay if you don't understand. What the top mathematician in the world is doing. No, I know. I need to just like be okay with myself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I did take a cryptography class. That's really and cool. My, my professor, he said that he knows. So, like, we were learning some of the, the like ways that they do cryptography for like banks and things like that. Yeah. And, and he was saying, that, like, he knows how to crack things, and so all of the governments in the world are after him. And I was like, okay. He just, like, dropped this in the middle of uh-huh. class. That I was like, sounds a little oh, phony okay. to me, but... <laughs> Either phony or, like, he's a little paranoid. Yeah, right. Like, Or maybe both. Either he's actively or inactively making it up (laughs) (laughs) but you gotta have some intrigue with your math classes it keeps it fun it keeps it maybe he did it just to excite you guys to work harder or something it's true maybe i mean it did i was like jazzed that's cool yeah all right, so in t- this is a lot of personal experiences of Emlyn. I don't know why this has happened. Uh, okay, so in 2014, in conjunction with Alex Eskin and with input from Amir Muhammad, who is at UT, or at least was when this was written, mm. um, they approached one of the largest problems in their field about billiards. 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 Pool. Imagine a billiard table. Pool. A pool table. Okay, I'm imagining it. But this pool table can be shaped like any polygon. What? Imaginary or not. This and, you know. is the biggest <laughs> problem in math. I don't understand. It's not like some psychology, like psychological problem that's, you know, like neuron math. <laughs> like No. Computer. Yeah, like, it's like, chips. it's the same thing that we were talking about. Like, so specific. 
Which I'm sure but has, yet has far-reaching applications. Yeah, I just, just can't. I can't grasp it. We can't make that connection that they can. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Okay. So, do you have a a billiard table in the shape of any polygon in your mind? Yep. Okay. Um, you know, great. But I'm not that creative because you know what? I'm just imagining a normal square. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bend it. Right, perfect. I'll bend it in my mind a little Great. bit. <laughs> Make it a little shim- uh-huh. a little shimmy. Yeah. All right. Now imagine a ball that can maintain its momentum. So like once you hit it on its trajectory, it's just going to keep bouncing. Yeah. At that same okay. velocity. Uh, so what are the range of behaviors this ball can take on this billiard table? Will it do a set pattern where like it repeats over the same paths it's already trodden. Will it eventually cover all of the different like space on that uh, surface? Like what's going to happen? Oh, okay. Um, So this is what they studied and came up uh, with an elegant theory for in order to kind of predict what would happen. Mm. This is my understanding. I am sorry if it is. Very simplified or wrong. <laughs> um, so this work was considered, quote, probably the theorem of the decade, <laughs> according to Benson Farb, who is a University of Chicago mathematician. Um, and it was a 172 page, quote, <gasps> Titanic work what? considered to have marked the, quote, beginning of a new era. That's crazy. Wait, I have so, a question. So billiards. Were they yes. using computers to do any of these calculations at this point? Like coding or no? This is all I think like it's, hand. It's all like, yeah. I mean, I think it's pure like proofs. Yeah. It's not like modeling or anything. I don't think so. They might yeah. use computers to try to visualize some of the right. stuff and think about it. But I think it's mostly like proofs. And she specifically... I don't know where I talk about this, but she was like, she doodled all the time. Like she got these huge sheets of paper and would sit on the ground and like draw all of these complex surfaces and shapes. And then like she'd have mathematical equations like surrounding these weird shapes and she would just draw the same shape over and over and over again as like as she thought. That's so like I think it was very much on pen and paper. That would be like a type cool- of deal. A cool book, like a cool art book. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, to have like all of her, yeah. all of her doodles in math. Yeah, maybe that exists. I don't know. Maybe it does. Yeah. Um. Okay. So this work on this billiard work with Eskin tied together disparate fields, including geometry, topology, mm-hmm. dynamical systems, and it also created a field of its own. This theorem that they created. Were, uh, is referred to as the magic wand theorem because it enabled many previously intractable, intractable mathematical problems to be solved. What? It's just, wow. it's so it's far reaching. <laughs> I wish I could I wish I could connect what they did and how it applies to anything, but I can't and I won't try. There's lots of podcasts that do much better jobs of like yeah. going into math. Yeah, let's go to a math <sighs> podcast. We're not yeah, a math. like number files. Good. There's a bunch of things yeah. that you can do on like YouTube and stuff like that that have really good like visualizations. It's wow. harder to do that on a podcast medium. 
No, I mean, I totally get what you're talking about in a broad sense, but I, I can't, you know, I can't see the direct influence, no. you know, that's just, no. you know, I don't have that connection yet. No, that's okay. I forgive you. <laughs> um. Okay. So at this time, this, this kind of, we're going to get on a downer now. Yeah. It had to happen. I knew it was coming. I'm sorry. Yeah. So around this time that they're creating this Titanic work and this magic wand theorem, uh, in 2013, Miriam is diagnosed with breast cancer. She's only 36. Damn. Then in 2014, Miriam was awarded the Fields Medal. Yes. For, quote, her outstanding contributions to the dynamics and geometry of Riemann surfaces and their moduli uh, spaces. Obviously. Uh, <laughs> All those words combined. Spaces. Yeah, I know the- what you said and could repeat it. <laughs> I'm just not going to repeat it right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when she re- she received an email saying that she'd won the Fields Medal, and she assumed the email had been hacked... Whoa, that's funny. Um, And that's because she was ever humble about her work and her contributions. And she didn't want to be in the spotlight. And I think she always, when people asked, like, what her contributions were to this theorem or that, she was like, oh, I don't think I contributed that much. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That's crazy. Uh, I know. So winning the Fields Medal, Miriam was the first woman, the first Iranian, and the first Muslim to win the Fields Medal. Wow. And so this is like a momentous occasion. And having just started her first bout of chemotherapy during this time, she was feeling very unwell, but still wanted to go to the ceremony in Seoul, South Korea for the Fields Medal. Because like the mathematical conference, that's when they give out the Fields Medal. Um, and she was really worried about, because it was so mem- such a momentous occasion, she was really worried about being hounded by the press and also not feeling well, not being able to escape, things like that. Um, and so in order to prevent her from being hounded by the press, but allowing her to go receive this award, six fellow female mathematicians formed what they called the MM Squad or the MM Shield hmm. uh, and constantly were by her side in soul during uh the conference and during the award ceremony uh keeping the press away from her and helping her slip out at events etc when she needed to rest or felt unwell so she had this like little like, squad of like badass mathematicians that That's were so crazy being her shield so she didn't have yeah. to deal with like unnecessary stressors wow so cute you gotta stick together i love it I know. Badass ladies looking out for each other. Mm-hmm. You gotta love it. Um, okay. So Jordan Ellenberg, a fellow mathematician, tried to explain her work as follows. Qu- I said tried because I was like, I don't know what this means, <laughs> but maybe it means something to other people. Quote, her work ex- ex- expertly blends dynamics with geometry. Among other things, she studies billiards. Um, But now, in a move very characteristic of modern mathematics, it gets kind of meta. 
she considers not just one billiard table, but the universe of all possible billiard tables. And the kind of dynamics she studies doesn't directly concern the motion of the billiards on the table, but instead a transformation of the billiard table itself, which is changing its shape in a rule-governed way. If you like, the table itself moves like a strange planet around the universe of all possible tables. This isn't the kind of thing you do to win at pool, but it's the kind of thing you do to win a Fields Medal, and it's what you need to do in order to expose the dynamics at the heart of geometry, for there's no question that they're there. Like, I feel like my mind is blown (laughs) while simultaneously being like, what the don't, like but like i don't know what it means yeah like all these mathematicians are so blown away by this and i'm still just like okay <laughs> like there's somewhat <laughs> of a communication problem between mathematicians yes. and the public as to what as to what this means you know <laughs> to everybody yeah. right <laughs> i mean she's right it does get kind of meta yeah. that's where i like the billiards upon billiards and the tables and the folding and the, <laughs> the ball yeah. just keeps on going. And <laughs> I love it, though. <sighs> yeah, it's so good. Alright, so she, when she won the Fields Medal, the president of Iran, Hassan uh, Rouhani, congratulated her for her win. Like, she was um, renowned in Iran and, like, held up as this, like, icon Um of really showing yeah. the intelligence and scholarship of the Iranian people uh, and their ability to like contribute on a global stage and things like that. Yeah. So it was like really a big cool. deal for Iran. Um, Miriam described herself kind of in reference to all, all of her work. She said, called herself a slow mathematician saying that quote, you have to spend some energy and effort to see the beauty of math. To solve problems, Miriam would draw doodles. This is kind of what I was telling you before. She would draw these doodles on giant sheets of paper and write mathematical formulas around the drawings. And her daughter described her mother's work as painting. Um, And as a child, her daughter thought that Miriam was an artist and a painter because that she was always like on the ground doodling. That's so sweet. Which I think is like really sweet. I know. I mean, she was creative. She had creative mm-hmm. ambitions. And you have to be creative to be, like, really yeah. that kind of genius that it seems like she was. Yeah. And and other, like, fellow mathematicians were, were saying, like, she tackled problems that people just didn't tackle. Right. Because no one knew how to even come at it. And she would come at it from, a, like, a completely different uh, angle and then utilize like these different fields of mathematics and like blend them together and yeah yeah so you really have to be a kind of a creative mind yeah Um, in fact miriam describes her work similar to writing a novel she says quote there are different characters and you and are getting to know them better she said uh, things evolve and then you look back at a character and it's completely different from what your first impression wow still i don't understand but it's amazing I like that. I don't understand, but it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's just the summary of our reaction to her. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Again, Miriam talking about her work, she said, I don't have any particular recipe for developing new proofs. It's like being lost in a jungle and trying to use all the knowledge that you can gather to come up with some new tricks and with some luck, you might find a way out. Which, like, that I get of, like, it being very puzzle. Yeah. Like, that excites me. I I, I can see. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds fun. Um... So, by 2016, Miriam's cancer had become uh, metastatic, metastic? Yeah, I think that's Um, right. And had spread to her bones and liver. Sad. Just not a good sign. Yeah. And so, on July 14th, 2017, Miriam died at the age of only 40. Man. At Stanford Hospital in California. Just so sad. Like, think of all the stuff she did. I know. So early. Ugh. Yeah, that's really sad. I remember hearing about it at the time, right? Like, she Mm -hmm. was a big deal. And this was news kind of in every scientific circle, I feel like. Yeah. It was interesting doing this because she's such a recent person. Yeah. That, like, there was... Lots of, like, there was, like, lectures. You could just watch her give lectures on YouTube. And there was, like, just a bunch of things on YouTube that generally we don't find because we're talking about older people. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, it was just interesting. Yeah. Upon her death, Iranian President Hassan Rouhani offered her his condolences and said of Miriam, quote, the unprecedented brilliance of this creative scientist and modest human being who made Iran's name resonate in the world's scientific forums was a turning point in showing the great will of Iranian women and young people on the path towards reaching the peaks of glory and in various international arenas. Which I thought was very nice. Yeah, that is really nice. This is this is like a whole strange thing. So in the wake of her death, also President uh, Hassan Rouhani tweeted a picture of Miriam um, with her hair uncovered. Oh, so she like wasn't wearing a hijab, which is very taboo to do. And so after this, several Iranian newspapers felt like they had the green light, and so they published photos of her hair uncovered, making her the first woman to have pictures of herself in an Iranian newspaper, like, without a hijab on or without her hair covered. Oh. So they just... she they, didn't usually cover she didn't wear. her hair, right? No. Okay. No, I think she did when she was in school right. in Iran. Yeah. But, like, when she got here... Um, I don't know at what point she stopped, but like she didn't, she didn't wear them anymore. Um, and so it's just very interesting. So like all of the pictures of her, um, well, for a while they actually, well, when she was still alive and they would have like press releases on maybe her winning the Fields Medal and stuff like that, because she, all of her more recent pictures didn't have her wearing like a hijab or anything, they would Photoshop one on. Really? Weird. (laughs) Um, So that they could post a a picture of her or have her in the newspaper or something like that. But yeah, it's just interesting that, um, like, she's these pictures of her after her death. Yeah. um, To celebrate kind of her life or the, like, broke this big taboo. Yeah. That is cool. Additionally, at this time, so Miriam's parents tried to, were trying to come 
back or were trying to come over to America to go to her funeral. And according to a bunch of sources, they almost missed her funeral because of all of the bans that Trump, like we're, we're so recent that we can talk about like the impact of some of Trump's uh, like Muslim ban, things like that. So like yeah. they had, a re- they almost missed her funeral because they were having such a hard time getting to America from oh, Iran. That's so stupid. But they made it. But yeah, so I think that was like a big issue. Yeah. Um, additionally, in the wake of her death, the debate about matrilineal citizenship was renewed. So at this time, children of Iranian fathers were granted citizenship, I think, automatically, but not children of Iranian mothers. Citizenship where? In Iran. Oh. So, like, if if you were a child of an Iranian father, you would automatically have Iranian citizenship. Like, if you were not in Iran. Oh, okay. Like, if you were in America... Uh, but your dad was Iranian, you would be oh, Iranian. I see, I see. Okay. So in her case, because she married um, someone from, who, he, he's Czech, her daughter wasn't going to have Iranian citizenship because there was no, like, matrilineal citizenship at yeah, that time. okay. Huh. So this became, like, a big controversy because, like, Miriam was such a big icon or is such a big icon in Iran that like people were outraged that her daughter wouldn't be an Iranian citizen. Oh, I see. Okay. I wonder, was that just like a weird like wording of the law that they didn't anticipate it, you know, being so specific later or do you think it was intentional? I think it's intentional, but I mean, that's yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, things that like differentially impact men and women, I feel like uh, yeah, for the most part. You're right. I wasn't sure if it was just like a man. You know how some for a long time people just called everyone a man? Like, yeah, you know no, I don't I mean? think so. Yeah. yeah, I think it has to do with, you know, like inherit, you know, all the right. inheritance, all that stuff that's only on the male line. Yeah, that makes more sense. Um, but, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, somebody, if they want to. Um, but, yeah, so because she was such a big name, 60 Iranian uh, leaders helped speed up a matrilineal amendment into becoming law so that Miriam's daughter would be able to visit Iran and have Iranian citizenship. So, like, she changed, like, this big law yeah. came into effect after her death because they were so proud of her and wanted her daughter to be Iranian. Wow. So uh, that's like pretty remarkable. Yeah, that's good. I mean, better late than never. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. As we often say in this podcast, we'll take it. <laughs> um, some other things that came after her death was based on advocacy by the women's committee uh, in the Iranian mathematical society. They convinced the International Society or the International Council for Science to make Miriam's birthday, which is May 12th, International Women in Mathematics Day in her honor. So May 12th, her birthday is International Women in Mathematics Day. Uh, A variety of spaces in Iran 
uh, have been named after her, such as Miriam's High School, uh, the Amphitheater and Library have been named after her, uh, Sharif University of Technology named their library and the College of Mathematics after her, um, and there's a variety of other things that have been named after her. Wow. Uh, the University of Oxford founded a Mirzakhani Society for Women and Non-Binary student- Students Studying Mathematics. Um, and before her death, Miriam became the first Iranian woman to be accepted as a member of the National Academy of Sciences. Wow. And then um, a few final things. In November 4th, 2019, after her death, the Breakthrough Prize Foundation announced that the Miriam uh, Mirzakhani New Frontiers Prize uh, was being created to be awarded to outstanding women in the field of mathematics each year. The $50,000 award is presented to early career mathematicians who have completed their PhD within the past two years. Nice. And then this February, um, our international women and uh, in February, 2020 on international day of women and girls in STEM, uh, Mirza Khani was honored by UN women as one of seven female scientists dead or alive who have shaped the world. Aww. So that is the story of Miriam Mirza Khani. Mirzakani. Wow. Her short life, but like extremely impactful one. She did so much. So much I don't understand. <laughs> and we probably never will, but you know and we, what? And I, I've accepted that I probably never will. <laughs> we don't need to. Yeah. I know I know some stuff about it now. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. <sighs> work, 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 work. All right, this is our Women Who Work section where we give shout-outs to ladies making badass history. Wait, am I getting the <laughs> sentence right? No. <laughs> to badass... Like to watch you struggle. <laughs> to, we give shout-outs to badass ladies, not ladies making badass history. I mean, it's pretty badass history as well. <sighs> history and science today. <laughs> okay. This is a women who work section where you have shout outs to badass ladies making history today. I got it. You got all the words in the right order. Cool. Nailed it. Okay. So, Emlyn, I was feeling really tired earlier today. (laughs) (laughs) So I decided to see if I could find some stuff on sleep science. Ooh. (laughs) Love it. Okay. And so my shout outs today go to two different women who are leading the way in sleep research. And, um, and you know what? Everybody's tired right now. So I thought we could just all learn some more about sleeping. So tired and sleeping very poorly. Yeah. Okay. So the first study was led by Dr. Jennifer Pesca a professor of psychology at Hendricks College in Conway, Arkansas. And she found, she and her team of researchers found that most college students suffer from something called nomophobia. (laughs) Okay. This is N-O-M-O phobia, just in case anyone. Like FOMO, but nomo? Yeah. Okay. Any idea what nomophobia is a phobia of? A phobia of 
no more friendship. <laughs> Pretty close. <laughs> That's very close. Really? Okay, here it is. I got so sad. So, um, so most college students have nomophobia, and it may be keeping them from sleeping. Um, nomophobia, aka no more phone phobia. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, is the fear of being out of mobile phone contact? Bizarre. Yeah. Like, uh, anxiety essentially brought on by not being on your phone and reachable oh and in contact with people or reading social media or whatever. That seems bad. Like, 89% of students in the study, I think it was out of 300, over 300 students, had moderate to severe nomophobia. According to the survey they made, which I didn't look at the survey, guys. Look at it yourself. I don't have time. <laughs> I don't have freaking time. <laughs> uh, but I just thought this was kind of like an interesting <laughs> or like funny I, study. Yeah. That's, um. I mean, like, yeah, I guess if you're always on your phone, then like you're worried that you're going to miss, you know, like your body's just attuned to like thinking about missing something. Right. It's a... It's weird because I would think it's like, I always think of it as an addiction to the phone rather than a fear of not being on the phone. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah, I yeah, don't, yeah. there's not a huge difference. It's like a lot of nuance there, but. um, Okay, so their study found that students that had higher levels of nomophobia had uh, we're more likely to have unhealthy sleep patterns, such as taking long naps in the middle of the day or inconsistent sleep times, like bed and going to bed and when mm. they wake up was inconsistent. So, you know, this is kind of just a short, you know, summary of that study. But uh, if you think you might suffer from this, hey, maybe it's okay to look at your phone while you're trying to fall asleep at night. <laughs> Is, the, is that the solution? It's one possible solution. Like, it might relax some folks to look at their phone. I would think the opposite. Yeah, I would think maybe we need to somehow address the phobia. Right? Yeah. That's Face a the core. Fear. That's the core solution, but maybe a temporary solution is if it relaxes someone to look at their phone, maybe don't tell them they shouldn't look at their phone right before bed. I don't know. Hmm. That's just oh. a suggestion. We're not doctors. We're not. <laughs> okay. Um, and then in a second study that was led by Dr. Dilara Yuxel, a postdoc in the Center for Health Sciences at SRI International. I love me a good postdoc. Yeah. Um, her team in they investigated whether or not a calming virtual environment combined with slow breathing exercises could aid teenagers in falling asleep. So, like, uh, they, like, had teenagers actually go into, like, a VR. I don't know. I assume there's, like, a VR headset. And you're, Are we like... in the Matrix? <laughs> That's so what worried. I'm wondering. This nomophobia... VR sleeping? <laughs> like, 
It's I'm so concerned about us. It's like a black mirror. Like Gen Z is black mirror. Is everything black mirror predicted? You know. We probably sound so old. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, this was a small study, um, only of about thirty teenagers. So they even say, you know, take this with a grain of salt. We we're just mm-hmm. trying things out. Um. Half of the teenagers had sleep disorders, and they tested specifically the rate at which individuals fall asleep with the VR and without, and um, the time spent sleeping while in bed, as measured by brainwave activity, you know, with the VR situation and without it. And um, they found that in the virtual reality plus slow breathing environment (laughs) individuals fell asleep on average six minutes faster and spent three percent more time sleeping hey i would take an extra three percent yeah sleep yeah and so and then the other so the other um experimental like set so there was this vr environment and then right before the one they're comparing it to was um, the teenagers would sit reading for 20 minutes before trying to go to sleep. So I'm like, that's pretty relaxing for a lot of people. So comparing that setting to the other setting, which is this immersive virtual reality combined with slow breathing exercises, which I assume was part of the immersive virtual reality. I didn't watch the mm-hmm. video or like what. I, you know, I didn't put the VR set on. I don't know what reality they're experiencing, everybody. Yeah, what if it was, like, war? <laughs> well, they said <laughs> a- it's a relaxing, immersive okay. VR environment. So I'm imagining, like, nature, but I don't know what's mm-hmm. relaxing to other people. Yeah, some people are scared to death of nature. But I, I'm kind of thinking it's, like, a meditative thing. Yeah. Like, uh breathe in breathe out like yeah something like that um so You're like on a hawaii yoga retreat yeah so that whole thing was slightly more relaxing it seems than just reading before bedtime and this sort of like reading will put me to sleep in approximately 30 seconds you know it makes me tired but then the second i turn the light off and lie down i'm like boop, 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 like my brain is oh. like Ready to do like ready to go again. I get proud of myself when I read three pages. Oh man, before bed. Yeah, it's hard to read before bed. I can't quite do it anymore. Um, I'm also I, I love to sleep too much. Yeah, mm. but I will say I like listening to podcasts before bed. And that's, like, relaxing. You know, people just mm-hmm. do you do what you gotta do, you guys, to go yeah, to sleep. Yeah, whatever makes you happy. But those were my shout-outs for the week of some very, like, oddball sleep studies that everyone's just getting to the core of all our variety of sleep issues, you know? I love it. Yeah. I mean, like, I know what my sleep issue is. It, it is called, um, pandemic. <laughs> pandemic. But... Yeah. Speaking of sleep. 
Speaking of sleep, this was our episode. I yeah. hope you liked it. We are very tired. <laughs> well, I, I actually, I, I was very high, for, like, awake for a while, but now I'm crashing. Yeah, me too. Um, but we are giving you this content. We're giving it to you. Uh, it's coming out on time. <laughs> coming out on time. To all our uh, loyal thanks. listeners. We never All our loyal listeners. <laughs> Yeah, let's know. Actually, no, we heard from some loyal I listeners know, last we week. Have. And it made my heart shine. Sore. Yeah. So, if you, dear listeners, want to tell, give us a shout out and let us know that you're thinking of us, we will love it. Yeah. I yeah, just. Colin, thank you, Colin Edwards, on Twitter for giving us a shout out. Yeah. It, made my, it filled my heart with joy. And Dale DeBaxi. We've really loved yeah. all the drawings. Bear Fatal. You know, Fatal. we got to pitch gotta this know. seriously to Cartoon Network. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, yeah, do give us a, a shout out or, or engage with us on Twitter if you're interested. We love to hear from you. Thanks to Caitlin Friesen for all our awesome art and Artichoke for our theme music. And you can... Go, go stimulate, stimulate yourself. yourself. Bye. And then go to sleep. Bye.